The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from different places in Southern California. And you can see that we are already joined by our wonderful guest today. Evelyn Kung is here with us for Ask Evelyn Kung. Evelyn, good morning. Good morning. It's so nice to see you. It's good to see you too. So uh, if you folks are tuning in and you, and you haven't been here for the last couple of days, we're, we're trying out a new platform. We think we like it and are going to stick with it, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we're, we're being told it's a little bit crisper sound wise and picture wise. So, you know, let's keep fingers crossed that that continues throughout today's stream as it were. Uh, but you saw on your first screen this morning all the different ways that you can connect with us because we are going to be live with you for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective, having you ask live questions of Evelyn. Uh, she is a true autism expert when working in this field for multiple, multiple decades. Uh, so you can be writing in your question. Let's talk about all the different ways that you can connect with us. Uh, and I don't know, Traven, if you can put that screen back up, but we are live right now on the left side. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and on our homepage, autism, it's autism-live.com. Uh, so, and then on the other side, it's all the places that in addition to those places that we podcast. So we are a free download on iTunes, excuse me, and you can choose either to be sound only or sound and picture on iTunes. And it is a free download to you. We're on Apple. Apple. It's, I, I, it's like I borrowed these teeth today. Uh, and I've been awake for hours. I can't blame it on that. So Apple Podcasts, that's a mouthful. Uh, we're, we're available there. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music. Check it out. I think it's starting relatively soon. Audible and on Deezer. If there is some place that you like to get your podcasts and it is not listed here, please let us know. If we're not there, there's only two reasons why we wouldn't be there. And one is that it charges the viewers because uh, we've made a commitment to avoid that as long as we can hold out. And the other reason is that may maybe we don't know about it. So uh, instruct us, teach us. We love to be informed. So uh, let us know. All right, so those are the different ways that you can write in. I also want to encourage you, we have a live uh, chat on our homepage, autism-live.com. I will tell you that these first four over there during the live show are the most efficient if you are on YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, or Twitter, it will show up for us a little bit faster than it has in the past. We're, we're figuring out the, the chat because when you guys all write in on the same time, it scrolls fast and, and I don't 
I, we haven't figured out how to scroll back yet. So bear with us, we're, we're, we're new at this. Uh, but we're thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be here, as I said, with Evelyn Kung. Evelyn, talk a little bit about what you do at CARD and, uh, and how long you've been doing that at CARD. <laughs> I've been doing it this almost 30 years, so it's kind of crazy for me to even think about that. But um, I've been at CARD so long that I predate the BCBA, <laughs> which is the certification for behavior analysts to, um, to work in this field. But really, I do all sorts of things, but my favorite thing to do is actually to help families still. That's doing the clinical part and helping supervisors problem solve when they run into cases or situations that they're just not sure what to do, or they just want a second pair of eyes to see a child, and basically trying to ensure that treatment is the best that they can be and that they're on the right path. So still the thing I love the most. It's a lovely gift to all of us. So this morning, as I said, you guys can be writing in your questions right now uh, on any of those places. I have not seen a chat yet. And so somebody say hi so we can make sure that it is working. But we do have questions that were written ahead of time. And you can always do that. I want to tell you that you can always email me to have your question uh, put into the mix. My email is s.penrod at autism-live.com. Don't email me during the live show because I'm not toggling between my email and here. But if it's Saturday afternoon and you're like, you know what I want to know on Wednesday, um, you know, feel free to email me. Thank you, Danielle, for saying hello. So we know on Facebook at least that it is working. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. So that's how fast that goes. I don't know how fast that was for you, Danielle, but it was fast for me. Okay, uh, I want to start with a really long question that, I, that they gave me uh, the permission to, actually, I'm going to go to a live question so that I don't lose it. Thank you, Kirsten. Uh, May wants to know, when a BT starts his session, should it be structured or not? Well, it really depends because sometimes um, transitions are hard for kids. So, and a lot of our kids at the ASD have difficulty with transition. So usually it will depend on the child. Some children love the structure of starting, so they just want to start right away and get into it. But if they're too much that way, maybe we purposely don't start with structure because that is how real life is <laughs> outwards. And we're working on generalization to you know, get them to be okay if structure doesn't happen immediately. And then there are some kids who you need to kind of do some rapport building at every session because some kids don't know who the BT is when they come in and maybe you need some BT, you need some time to build rapport and for them to remember, oh, I like this person. Because remember, we um, kids with ASD don't see other people the same way. And I know sometimes they don't remember who people are because whether, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but it's just like a little prompt for them to realize, oh yeah, I like you. <laughs> You're fun, or you say things this way, so I'm going to pay attention. So it really depends on your child, you know. The idea is that you know you can get them in, and it should. Um, compliance is a big deal. If your child doesn't have compliance, um, it's really hard to teach, just like with any other kid out there. So what I always tell people is, you know, if you're just starting a program, you might have some rapport building time. But then there is a time where you're, you have to just gain compliance. Otherwise your session kind of goes too long um, in trying to build rapport. So, you know, it can be any of those things. And I wanna just chime in as a parent and as somebody who's, my son did five years of intensive ABA. And, um, you know, there were some 
times during the day that it was better to get jump right in for him. And sometimes during the day when they had to work on rapport. And there were some therapists who, you know, I always like to say, Evelyn, I don't know if you've ever heard me do my talk about what a team, what the ideal dream team looks like. And because parents always want the rock stars. We want, we want what's, what's best for our child, right? So we want the rock star therapist. And I, I learned over five years that it's great to have a rock star on your team, but you don't want a whole team of rock stars because then when your child goes out into the world and interacts with somebody who's not an ABA rock star, they don't know what to do. So my whole thing was that I want a rock star who's just like makes it so fun. I, I liked having somebody on the team who I call the drill sergeant, who's just like all business and gets it done, but I don't want them all the time, right? Um, I, I like having a newbie on the team, somebody who's brand new to ABA because they ask things in a different way. And I saw that my child generalized faster, but each one of those people kind of structures their session differently. And, and in the beginning, I was like, why aren't they all doing it the same, you know? But what I discovered was in the world, people don't do it always the same and that I wanted him to be used to a wide array of people. So even between times of day and they, and they said completely agree, so wonderful. Uh, how can we help further the understanding about girls on the spectrum when a great deal of doctors are not familiar with girls with autism at all? That's, that's a rough one because I, I actually don't look at it, girls versus boys. I feel like the whole medical field just needs a training on what autism is because right now, depending on who you go to is what they know. You know. A lot of, I have some amazing friends who have been like the only, you know, one of two interns in the whole country that specializes like in pediatrics, internal medicine. And, you know, they'll call me and they'll be like, yeah, I got my one hour for the year on autism or my half day. And yeah. that's just not enough. And I feel like just looking, the, the, the rate of autism is so high now that really overall the training and maybe even retraining of doctors is more important overall. Because once you recognize what autism is in all its different forms across the whole spectrum, then I think the gender thing doesn't matter as much. You know, because then you know how to ask the right questions. And maybe that is with girls, it is a different kind of question. But in many ways, I feel like girls, it's easier to spot because little girls are just chatty from when they're really little. And boys are more, I mean, this is totally stereotypical. But, you know, if you get a four-year-old, you'll have more little girls sitting there talking about something. And you'll have more boys like running and zooming around the playground. And it's easier to teach our kids to do the zooming and running than it is to sit there and do the chat and the topic of conversation, you know, play. And um, so I think that just overall, the general um, training of physicians on what autism is across the whole spectrum just needs to be. I, I don't know if that helps you. Well, and I just want to point out too, from a perspective taking thing that uh, Evelyn's answer is indicative, indicative of exactly what she's talking about because for her, she's an amazing expert in the field of autism who understands autism and has seen it in all of its forms. So to her, 
it's very easy for her to spot autism in a, in a girl because she understands how different it could be. And I think her, that's her point exactly, which is that we need to educate the other people who are diagnosing so that they understand that too. And that, that's really the crux. Yes. Um, if, and we, can tr we really want to um, bring awareness to the differences in autism uh, across the entire world. But until we start with the people who are diagnosing, girls are going to continue to not be diagnosed. And I, and I just want to point out that that's why she's saying that, because she's a true expert in the field and knows experts in the field who do recognize those differences. And if we could get everybody to that, it, it, it would go a long way to getting help and support for our girls. I want to make sure that I address this question. What about when ABA fails or makes the child worse? Now, I've got stuff to say about that, but I'm, really, I'm for sure that you do too, Evelyn. <laughs> um, I'm in agreement that there is bad ABA out there. Unfortunately, there is a lot of bad ABA. And um, when people come to, when BCBAs come to CARD, we always say, if you really love the field of ABA, but don't love people, you're going to fail in this field. You know, it just does not work. You have to love people and love the patients you're working with and really want to like care about them to make ABA really effective and to really understand how to implement it too for every different child that comes in. And so there's that aspect, you know, and I know Dr. Grampy Shade she actually went on with all her supervisors and said, if you love experimental ABA, but don't like people, don't be, you shouldn't be a card. <laughs> so um, it kind of shocked people, but it's very true. You have to want to help people in order for it to be effective. When ABA fails, I don't know if ABA fails or when people get worse, it depends what your definition of worse is, because there is a situation like behaviorally where if a child's been tantruming to get what they want um, for the last two years and suddenly you're not paying attention to that tantrum anymore and it's not getting what they want, their behavior will get much worse before it gets better because they have to test like you're, I'm screaming, but you're not paying attention. So now I'm going to scream louder and you're still not paying attention. So maybe now I'm going to throw some things and maybe I'm going to bite someone and maybe I'm going to do all this. And then when they realize, oh, none of this works, then their behavior will drop. And that's actually a behavioral technique that we call called an extinction burst. And a lot of times families give up while the behavior is going up. And then what you're doing then is you're just telling that child, you need to either tantrum more, be more aggressive before I'm, I attend to you. And we always tell families, you have to work through that behavioral um, extinction burst because once you work through it, the behavior just drops very quickly. And yeah. Janet's nodding her head because she's seen it. And Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and it's amazing how that can, if you stop it in that point of time, it might look like the behavior is getting worse, but it's because you didn't work all the way through. And if you work it all the way through, you will see the behavior change when it happens. So you have to give ABA time to work too. You know, yeah. if you do get like, let's say bad ABA, there's, you go get a second um, opinion. Like that's what I tell people. I remember being a young um a young supervisor and I hated it when people came to give um get second opinions on whatever I was doing but the thing is it did make me better you know it, it taught me how to work with other people or to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing and you know of course when I started everybody that came in was came out of the Lovas program <laughs> that was doing second opinions so it was very intimidating but it was just like one of these things that you know it does make you better and you can't 
there is bad ABA out there. And if you think you have bad ABA, I would encourage you to go look and see if there's better because your child deserves it. Yeah, it's one of our missions here on the show to sort of distinguish for people the difference between good ABA and bad ABA. But you should know that really good quality ABA has been found to be the most effective teaching technique across so many different standards, whether it's somebody who's neurotypical or somebody who's on the autism spectrum. And that if you do the right amount uh, of ABA with, and, and it's individual, right? We, we kind of know that if it's somebody who's under the age of five, that the prescription is going to look very similar that, you know, I, I guess that there are some kiddos who may be under the age of five who, who really don't need a 40 hour program, but I'd love to argue that. Um, I would really love to argue that because I think sometimes when kids are doing really well under the age of five, they go, let's give them half. And sometimes it shortchanges them. Um, but that's one way that you can tell your good quality ABA over the age of five, it gets very individualized, but if you're not doing your full prescription, then you really can't, you really can't tell that whether it's working or not. And you might be leaving your child in a place where they're in an extinction burst. So, uh, I'm, I'm losing things in the crawl. So I'm, I, I feel like I'm on a treadmill here. Uh, if you're an adult who thinks you're on the spectrum and you don't know how to go, go about getting diagnosed, especially if you don't have confidence um, to, to even bring it up, what suggestions do you have for them, Evelyn? There are, you know, we're getting a lot of adults right now who are getting diagnosed. They never had it. Usually they have a pretty good like um, structure from their family they came that was really like structured in how they were teach, being taught. And that's how they get so far. But we do have a lot of 30 and 40 year olds now who are getting referred for diagnosis. And there are a lot of, you just have to find a psychologist who has experience with autism, you know, and you can go in there and just say, I'm just wondering if, you know, I fall on the spectrum and they'll sit down with you and do a complete history with you and interview you and talk to you and give you a diagnosis. But you want to go to someone who has the experience of diagnosing autism. So, you know, there that's the important part of it. But if you do, I encourage you to go look and find out. We've had people come in, adults who come in, where they were referred to us by human, their human resources department um, in, in their job. Or maybe I, I had a patient recently, a new patient come in, and her family, her parents had passed away. And she just didn't have the structure anymore in her life. And it had been about two years. And then COVID happened. And not having that structure affected her because um, before that, even though she lived independently, somebody was watching and trying to, you know, giving her ideas of what she needed to do. And she was able to follow it. But now those people were no longer there. And so she's in and we're like, we're happy to help you because she wanted to help. But she just didn't know how. And so we actually at CARD now, we've been working with adults some. And, you know, it's a little bit different because a lot of our high functioning adults are working. They have jobs or, you know, they're in school or whatever it may be. But I encourage you to, you know, you could go in and, you know, get a referral, whether it's through Autism Speaks by state or, you know, Autism Society of America probably has lots of referrals about which doctors have the experience. And then, you know, go in and just be very frank and honest about what you're asking. And I just want to say that we've got a great friend of the show that uh, I just was talking to the other day. She's an adult woman on the spectrum who was diagnosed as an adult on the spectrum after her two daughters were diagnosed. She's agreed to come on the show. So I'll let you know when that's going to be. But um, I think she'll have some great insights for you about what it was like to actually 
start to think that she might be on the spectrum, have the courage to come forward, go through the process, and how her life has changed for the better as a result of going through the process. Um, okay, we, we had somebody, and I've lost it in the crawl, but basically um, the person who was asking the question about somebody getting worse in ABA said that her daughter was getting ABA for a seven-month period, and during that time, the ABA provider was withholding bathroom privileges. I'm having trouble even saying it because I want to go on record as saying that's not just bad ABA, that's abuse. That should be reported. That is not okay. That is not a part of an ABA program, period. Let alone, you know, it certainly wouldn't be a part of a quality ABA program. I am so sorry to hear that that happened to you and to your child, but there is a governing board, the BACB, um, and you should report them. That is not okay. That is ever, I, I can't think of a circumstance in which that would be okay. Um, but I, I don't, I would hate to think that that would turn you off of good quality ABA forever. Um, and that they're, they're saying that as a result, she's regressed and wouldn't leave the house for months because she was afraid she was gonna go have to, have to go back. She stopped eating and sleeping. I, yeah, and I, I, you know, Evelyn, I don't know if you want to say something, but I, as, as I'm sure that you're terrified now, but um, a good quality ABA program actually would help her to overcome her phobias. Now, um, you just would want to do it in a, with somebody aware of the fact that this has happened in a, in a previous ABA provider. Evelyn, anything you want to add? Um, I did see something also about doing CBT. CBT is good because, you know, it's a cousin of ABA. But many times, cognitive behavioral therapists, if they don't have experience with people on the spectrum, they're speaking too abstractly for people on the spectrum. And that I would want to see, like, is that person talking at a level that's above your child? And then what's going to happen is your child's just going to, what, what happens is these therapists suggest things, and then the, 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 the person themselves just takes it as a rule. And you don't want that to happen either. Because if they are truly on the spectrum and there is some kind of language issue, like understanding, you know, talk, you know, people on the spectrum tend to like the black and white, the concrete and abstract is really difficult to understand. So a lot of times people will go the CPT way, but if they don't have the vocabulary and like the comprehension of the concepts being discussed in CBT, it might not be helpful either. And actually I've had kids come in and have all sorts of wrong definitions from CBT ther therapy they've had. And it wasn't that the CBT person wasn't, didn't know what they were doing. It's just that they took an assumption that that person with ASD understood everything they were saying. So you have to be careful on both ends too, you know, in terms of what you're discussing. Um, ABA is so helpful for everyone. I see that, you know, it, but you do need a good ABA program who's going to look at your child as an individual, see what their strengths and weaknesses are, figure out what the priority is for that child, for you, from their experience, from research, put it all together and be able to address teaching and the addressing of problem behaviors in a very methodical way. You know, that's a good ABA program is really looking at the whole picture. If your child has other comorbid diagnoses, being able to collaborate and working with other professionals on your team so that everybody is working in a manner that's just increasing the quality of life for that child or that person, no matter how old they are or what skills they have. There you go. We've got a lot of questions here. And uh, uh, Traven, if you can find the one for me where they said that their daughter was just starting to add more words, because that's the one I wanted to get back to and I can't. 
Um, but I, lots of questions about how do we know if ABA is right for a child? What resources are there to educate families? Obviously, you know, there's Autism Live, but I, I appreciate that there's more and more mainstream stuff in the entertainment industry that is allowing people to get an entree into certain types of autism. You just want to be careful that when you have a family member who knows nothing about autism, you know, and you, if you say to them, oh, well, go and watch The Good Doctor. Well, that's great, except that The Good Doctor is one type of autism. And if your child doesn't have that type of autism, that person is going to think, oh, that's all autism, right? So be careful which thing that you turn them on to. There are novels that they can read. There are shows that they can watch. There are more and more actors on the autism spectrum that are being featured in roles. I love Kobe Bird because he plays uh, roles on television and some of them are, you know, teenagers with autism. Some of them are not. Um, and then he'll do interviews. And so he, and he plays them uh, as different individuals who have different challenges and different strengths. And so I'm, I'm loving watching Kobe Bird. I would encourage you to check out like his Instagram and, and see, you know, but that's, again, that's Kobe. That's one type of autism. And we're trying to tell people there's more than one. But how do you know if your child is right for ABA, Evelyn? Because I'm going to say it's right for everybody, not just your child. It's right for you. It's right. Olympic athletes use ABA. Well, so research is, it, it can help everyone, but I have to say not every family will accept ABA. Okay. So families may come in, they come in for an intake and I always can help the child. <laughs> Every child that comes through in adult, whatever, it's like, there's things that we can do. ABA can be effective. There's a ton of research on it. I've had a lot of experience it, but I have to say that usually it is the family who may not want ABA. And so, the, so like when we do an intake, we talk to the family and let them know what ABA truly is because it is giving up a lot of how maybe you think you should parent or maybe the culture in your family. And the thing is a good ABA program will help try to like um, work with the cultural part. But I have to say that there, there are people who come in who just cannot, just for whatever reason it is, they, they have a hard time accepting ABA as something that's gonna be good for their child. And so that does happen. But if you're talking about just purely any person who comes in, whether small or adult, ABA can work because ABA looks at the individual child. There's not one curriculum for everybody where you do the same thing. We look at you and say, like, what are the things that are um, not making you not functional right now? What are the things that are um, keeping you from having the best life that you can? And then being able to program in that way and being able to use reinforcers so things that really motivate the person to get things done. ABA, when it's done right, most of our um, families, patients love it because it's like the first time they really understand how it works. You know, I do this and this is what I get in return. When they don't like it, it's, um, I have some teens who don't like it. And I always say that it has more had to do with the deficit they have because maybe you know, a lot of our um, people that come through have a black and white view. So like the first time a kid told me, I couldn't understand why he didn't like math because he was so good at it. He was like seven years old and doing almost calculus, but he kept saying he was bad at math and we worked on language. And then by time he got like, it took about a year and a half. He looked at me and I said, why don't you like math? And he said, it's the only time the teacher comes by and tells me to erase something. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that means I failed. And then I was like, no, this is a flexibility understanding issue. <laughs> and it was like, he either was successful and perfect or he failed. And that's the part that needed to be addressed because he was like, if you tell me I have autism, it means I failed. And so I don't want autism and I don't want therapy because if I have therapy, that means I have autism. And I mean, but it took like a good year and a half. And this is like a child with a lot, a very high IQ, lots of, you know, could talk to you, no problem coming in, but he couldn't tell me what he thought. You know, he couldn't tell people what he was really thinking. And it took a good amount of time to get him to have the language to be able to to tell someone what he was thinking. And so we do get teens who come in who don't want therapy because it means something's wrong with them. And no, that's not it. It's just that this is something the way that you learn is different. And there are some things that are blocking you and we can teach you how to unblock you so that you can be successful and go on your merry way you know, whatever way that is. And sometimes that is, but most of the time ABA is very effective. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to do enough of it and you have to do it often enough. Yeah. And you, you have, have to, to ride through those extinction bursts that Evelyn was talking about. Hey, we've had somebody write in about having difficulty getting their child to wear their prescription glasses. They've offered him a reinforcer of lollipops, but no matter what they've done, he'll only leave the glasses on for five minutes and they'll take any suggestions. Okay. So first of all, I want to make sure that the glasses are comfortable enough, that there's not a sensory issue because sometimes there's just the sensory issue on their head or their face. And then that's where you need to actually desensitize more of like the feeling. And so you want to work with either an ADA person or maybe an OT to get to work through the desensitization of just being okay to have something on their face and their ears. And maybe it might be finding different kinds of glasses too. I know for me, when I wear my glasses, they do get uncomfortable sometimes if I'm wearing them too long or whatever it may be. And so get rid of, make sure you address those issues first. And then after that, you know, you talked about lollipops and the reinforcement it works for five minutes. You have to methodically, it might be at five minutes there, but you need to slowly increase it. And really the whole point of glasses is so they can see better. So if there's something they like to see, they're gonna be motivated to want to wear their glasses. And if your child has any kind of visual sustimatory behavior, <laughs> and it might be that they like the way it looks without glasses, you know, and that might be something. Or usually if I'm trying to get kids to wear glasses, I show them think visual things that they like so that they're motivated to wear them so they can see more clearly. And you know that, and you, and just, you have to be really patient and you give all sorts of, you know, the visual motivation, but then you're also giving the lollipops and the encouragement and the vocal and everything. And then after a while, you just work one minute at a time or 30 seconds at a time and you just build up to it and the kids do it. You just have to have the patience to do it. It's not gonna come automatically. If you look at neurotypical kids, you have to motivate those kids a lot of times to wear their glasses too. And it's the same process. They just might understand a little bit more about why they're wearing them because you can explain a little bit more and they understand more, but it is just being patient, giving them enough motivation. But if you find that visual part, that is gonna be the biggest motivation because they can see it now. <laughs> And uh, another viewer is writing in and saying uh, to, you know, find somebody that they like who wears glasses as an example and go look how cool they look with their glasses. I love that. And tell them they look smart with their glasses on. And, you know, all those compliments and things. Sometimes that works with some kiddos. But I, I think it's kind of amazing that, that you know, if, if they're wearing them for five minutes, 
that means that what you've been doing has been working. And I know as a parent, I'm always so impatient. And, um, you know, it's that whole idea of, all right, so he's wearing them for five minutes now. So tomorrow, can you get him to wear them for five minutes and 10 seconds? Because I know you say go slow as, as a person who's a clinician, Evelyn, and we think, oh, okay, so five minutes today, 10 minutes tomorrow, and next <laughs> week we'll be at the whole thing. But she's really talking about increments of seconds and minutes, you guys. And if you start with five minutes and you go to five minutes and 10 seconds, before you know it, I mean, like time will pass and he'll be wearing them for a half an hour. And then from a half an hour, you, you know, you might see him forget that the half an hour is up and wear them at 40 minutes, but take it, take it super slow. Cause I, I know that's what works for a lot of us. Uh, my son has been biting his hand when a demand is placed on him when he is overexcited. I'm really worried. It's getting worse. Well, this is where we talk about ABC data, you know, and like yes. what happened before, what's the behavior, and then what did you do? And uh, Shannon can do her. I love I'm, your explanation. I'm, I'm origamiing. <laughs> <laughs> the question is if he bites and you pay a lot of attention to him or you do something to get him to not bite, that might be reinforcing him so that he knows if he bites his hand, he, he, you will come over or he'll get away from a task. You know, there, there's different functions of behaviors. And so you really have to look at the behavior to figure out, like, why is he really biting? And Shannon, go on. Show your... Okay. So I just folded my paper uh, with my question on it in thirds, right? Um, so that I can... Um, I've got columns and I didn't need a straight edge. And across the top, I wrote A, B, C. Uh, and the A stands for the antecedent. That's what happened before. The B stands for behavior and the C stands for consequence. And you can do this on your phone or you can carry this in your pocket. And when a behavior happens, so let's say he bites his hand. While the behavior is happening, you're standing there looking at it, but you're thinking in your head, I have to be a court reporter later on and jot it all down. My favorite thing about this is as a parent, it helped me to deal with the anxiety in the moment because you know how we all escalate. You see your child biting your hand and you go, what is this horrible behavior? Where did this happen? Is this my fault? Is this going to be, he's going to go to college and he's going to be biting his hand. What if he bites through his hand and we have to go to the emergency? Like we will cycle, right? Instead, you think, okay, wh what exactly is going here? Okay, he's chewing on his finger, then he moves to his, his fist and now, you know, he's doing this, whatever, whatever. You're thinking about what the behavior is so you can write it later. Later, when you have a second, you write what the behavior is. Then you write what the consequence was. What happened? Did you say to him, stop biting your hand? Did you take away, you know, something? Did you move things around? Did you let him bite his hand? No judgments. You write what happened as a result of it. Then you go back and you have to be the forensic science scientist and think, okay, what happened before? You're already knowing because you wrote in and said, it. you know, it happens when we put a demand on him. But be specific. What time was it? What was happening before? What demand did you put on? And then each incidence, you know, you draw a line and you do the next one. And then you hand this to your BCBA, who then can make so much information out of that. Um, and you will start to see some patterns. You will notice, oh, he's biting his hand more for a demand in the afternoon than he is in the morning. I, you know, because I'm not seeing any of them in the morning. Why is that? Did we, did he eat something during lunch that made it harder for him to process? And so the anxiety of that, I mean, the crazy things that come up when you do this, the patterns that you see, it's very educational for us. 
And it's life-changing when you can hand that to the BCBA because it gives them eyes on the situation. What would you add? That's my, my uh, parent to parent, but you're the expert. What would you add? Well, really, it's like what you said. You wrote it all down and you're trying to figure out what it is. Just remember, it might not be one thing. It might be pretended. That's the hardest part is like, I may bite my hand because I know you're going to ask me a question at any moment. I may bite my hand because if I bite my hand, you're going to come talk to me and kiss me and hug me and pull my hand. If I bite my hand, maybe now you stop making me do this stop eating this food that I don't like or stop doing watching the show that you're making me watch stop playing with this toy stop interacting with someone so there's different reasons that uh, the different functions that get involved and then that's usually when like when I start telling families that when a behavior won't go away the first thing I do is do something like this ABC but it's usually what we call a multiple multiply function multiple controlled function which means there's different reasons and different functions for why a behavior is there. We're trying to pull it all into one, but it, that doesn't always work. Whenever I look at behaviors that have been there and it just goes up and down, there's a good chance that there's more than one reason why that child is doing this. And so then you really do need to look at each situation and try to figure out why in this situation is he doing this activity. Okay. Um, and then once you know why they're doing it, there's all different types of interventions Um but if, but it's sort of like when something isn't working in your car and you go to the mechanic and you say, I think it's the water pump, right? Because you've got, you formed an opinion. I think it's the water pump. But the, the, the person who's fixing your car says, well, I'm going to drive it around the block for a second and see what I hear. And then they, and then they look at it and they see before they start taking the water pump out. Right. So, and because they want to know what it is, cause they want to fix it for you. Same thing with your BCBA. They want to figure out what the function of the behavior is. They, they need to look at it. That ABC data helps them to be able to look at it, helps things to go faster, but you don't want to just jump in and pull things out and go, well, I think it's this um, until you know, for sure. All right. The, the, I love how you're talking to each other. It's really wonderful. So, um, oh, Evelyn, we're asking, they're asking if you can turn your speaker volume down just a little bit because we're getting an echo when I talk. We think it's your speaker, but we're okay. not sure. So we're going to try it. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, a parent has written in and said, my four-year-old is beginning to say more words and bonding more with us, smiling more, um, being more loving and making more eye contact. We are doing pecs speech therapy and Gemini and in an autism school. Um, so I think that's wonderful. The one thing I didn't see on your list was doing ABA. And I know that um, this parent also asked a question about how we feel about the sunrise program. Um, and so I think that everything that you're doing on this list is really cool. Um, but I would love to see some ABA in there because it is the evidence-based treatment for exactly what you're talking about. I'll bet that you're doing some ABA with the eye, eye contact and with the PECs and in the autism school, but I, I would love to see a four-year-old have a bigger program. Evelyn, what do you want to say? Yeah, I mean, really, we're looking at ABA as the main, it's the only research-backed program, you know, that shows that it's effective and that it's what works. And that's why, you know, when I first started this, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I listened to this <laughs> talk about, you know, all of these things, but it really is. If you, ABA it has the research backing across all levels and um, people on the spectrum of abilities. 
So that is what works. I know that you know people use other programs, but there isn't really a lot of research that is showing the effectiveness across the board in other um, types of therapy right now. So I would. That's why um, Shannon is. She she's going to be an advocate just because her son's whole life changed for it. But I think that my that, life changed. My life yeah, changed and, too. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, I know it works. I have a lot of kids who are out there now in their twenties and just you know living their own life. And there's not very many people out there who can say the same thing. I I realize I always say that it's it's been amazing for me to see. I, there's just so many, I have so many adults now that I don't even know where they are or who they are. That's how many kids I have just functioning on their own and their parents, you know, don't, you know, nobody knows anything really. And, um, I just actually found out one of my kids is at Yale this year. She's a freshman. Love that. Dying. <laughs> when I, you know, we, we were laughing because I heard their name just popped in my head and I typed in just Google. I typed in her name. And she came up in our high school newspaper, you know, list of where everybody's going to school. And I just saw, I saw a video of her and she was just talking like, Hey, I just want to help people. And I just believe that if you're going to do something, you should just do your best and everything. And I was so proud, yeah. <laughs> but I just well, have a lot of those adults now. So well, no that parent has gone on to say, my son is saying new words every day. He adores flowers, grass, leaves. Can I use ABA and PECs to develop that vocabulary around his interests? Yes, definitely. If anything, that's going to make him talk more. And there are some kids who do better with the visual icon at the beginning. And it's like, it's almost like the entrance into the world of talking out loud. And they learn it with a peck, with an icon first, and then they start to use it. And if it's something that they love, definitely use it to teach them all the interests, all the words, you know, they need more and more, even if in ABA programs, you know, they will teach vocabulary, but I always tell parents, you're the one that is with them all the time. So that when they're not in ABA, he has to learn words on his own. And initially it might be an ABA, but then it goes to the parent and then it goes to himself where he's able to learn words on his own. And so definitely use all the things that he loves. He's going to want to talk about it forever. <laughs> I, I would go so far as to say that's one of the hallmarks of good quality ABA that you absolutely should be using the things that the child loves and adores because that's what that's who they are. And we want good ABA should be reinforcing good ABA. There's going to be times when it's going to be challenging and frustrating, but ultimately it should be really reinforcing for the kiddos. Uh, I love when I'm talking to parents and they go, oh my gosh, my kiddo is so excited to go to the center or they're so excited when the therapist shows up at their door. And that's the way it should be, folks. That's a hallmark of good ABA. They're going to get frustrated sometimes. Absolutely. There were times that my son cried because he was frustrated. There were times when, when he would be mad because he couldn't get something. But I would say 99 out of 100 times, he was so thrilled when the therapist came to the door because they were there to play with him and to teach him and to help him grow. And he got all kinds of attention and, and good, uh, you know, opportunities to play. He loved it. And that's the way good ABA should be. Now, somebody asked a question earlier in the crawl about um, behaviors and should ABA be targeting behaviors that are, are just atypical or should they only be um, targeting dangerous behaviors? 
And I, and I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand because somebody else said, you know, there's a lot of self-advocates out there who, who don't like ABA. And, and I, before I give Evelyn a chance to say, I just want to say this, that I support all the self-advocates in saying whatever it is that they want to say. Their story is their story. And, and we honor that here on Autism Live. There are self-advocates who have been on this show and said that they had a negative experience with ABA. And I never want to be a part of something where, where we're trying to quiet those people from telling their story. But your other part of the question was, how do we tell them that ABA is good? And I, and I think we have to be careful in telling them that there's a, there is a lot of great ABA out there. But as we've said earlier in the show, not all the ABA right now is great. And I always say to self-advocates, would you like to see the ABA that I'm talking about and invite them? And if you have somebody that you know who's like, I don't believe it, please reach out to me and I will find a way for them to see some really good quality ABA because it's delicious. Absolutely. What do you want to say, Evelyn? I think like everything that you said is right on because everybody has their perspective, right? From wherever you come from. And a hallmark skill that differentiates when um, autism is debilitating is the lack of perspective taking. So that lack of perspective taking or lack of what they call theory of mind is really understanding how other people feel. And a lot of times you might have whatever experience that you have, but if you don't understand how other people can see another way and are open to it, it's just gonna be very hard to understand that something that you think is bad is good. You know, it's, and that's all of us. Whenever we have an experience that's one way and somebody tells you it's supposed to be good, you say, well, that, in my experience, that's not true, but you still believe them for that person, right? That that is good. And like like um, Shannon was saying right now, there is bad ABA out there and there are people who have bad experiences and that should not be, but it is in every field that you go to. So the research, you have to look at the research and the facts is that there is good, there is, there's changes that are made and it's the willingness to open up to say, maybe there is a better way for this. And if you really want to address some type of deficit or want to learn a skill that you really, you know, will change your life, then you need to advocate for yourself to find what will um, maybe, you know, make a way for you to learn that skill. And if it is something that you think is bad, be open and try to find someone that can help you and, you know, go through all the facts and discuss and try to figure out, is this helpful? Can this be helpful? Because, you know, it's all about perspective taking <laughs> and yeah. to it. I love this question that somebody just asked. And of course, I just made it go away on my screen. Uh, they said, if we're not in America or Canada, how can we educate ourselves to do the same like ABA to work with our kids? And this is a great question. And I have great information for you. We're going to talk a little bit about skills and IBT. Um, Evelyn, I'm, I'm going to look for my weekly email that tells me, uh, what they're, what they're offering this week on I, IBT, but, uh, why don't you talk briefly about skills? Yeah. So back in the day before the internet and YouTube and all of this, when I used to actually travel all around the world and go and train people, families, we'd have families hire like three or four or five people. I would come in for two or three days, train them an ABA program, create an ABA program, um, and then keep in touch with them by mailing videotapes 
and it would take a month to get here and we'd have phone calls and I would, you know, go through a treatment program. But the internet has now come and you can talk on the same day through FaceTime and everything else. And I've recovered kids with across, you know, in other parts of the world where they are typical functioning adults now. And it really is now, you is we have skills, which is a curriculum. It's the curriculum that CARD uses. And anybody can, you know, get a subscription to it. You go in, you answer a set of assessment questions about, you know, what your child can or cannot do. And then um, you, but through the list, it will give you an order of lessons and, um, or level of lessons. And you can choose the things that matter to you. And then there's a, what we call a behavior intervention um, plan builder, where you go in and you answer serious questions about problem behaviors. And it will give you an estimate of, you know, the function of the behavior and give you ideas of like, do you want to try this? This is a good intervention for you. Or maybe you want to try a different way. This doesn't work. Go through, fill it out. You get a little program. You get IBT, which is the training part. Trains you as a parent, trains other people, babysitters, um, siblings, you know, whoever it may be to come in and work on the one-to-one the one -one ABA technique. And then you put this program into place. And then if you have a BCBA who can call in or telehealth in and watch and help you plan and help put things together, that's the best part. But if you don't and you're someplace where there's no BCBA access, you can't. we have families who fully run this just by using IBT and skills together and have great outcomes with their kids. There you go. So every week they send me an email to let me know offers that they're making available during COVID to families around the world. Um, so this week, for they said for our ABA parents and guardians, we will continue to offer free IBT. That's the Institute for Behavioral Training e-learning courses. This week they're offering parent communication and socialization. So those e-learnings are for free this week. Get your pens ready because I'm going to give you a phone number in just a minute so that you can get this uh, these free trainings. They're online. Anybody can do them. Um, some of them are also in Spanish, but not enough yet. But most of them are in English. For teachers, and so if you're a parent and you want these for your teacher, you can hook them up as well. Or if you're a teacher, you can hook yourself up. They're offering their IBT educator e-learning module educator behavior management and it's available for free this week which is like amazing everybody should like get this for their teachers for um teacher appreciation week and just say i got this for you here here's the link to it um they also are continuing to offer their registered behavior technician 2.0 training course free for the parent audience on a case-by-case -case basis so what what you'll do is you'll call the phone number um, and, and if you want the RBT training, that's what um, therapists, it's the beginning, it's the e-learning training that they have to do before they become a registered behavior technician. I want you to understand that there's more that they have to do. Uh, there's a certain number of hours they have to do to get the certification, but you can do the training port, uh, portion of it uh, online and they will give that to you for free on a case-by-case -case basis, but you do have to call them and um, say that Shannon sent you, you heard it on Autism Live, ask for the Shannon Penrod friends and family discount. That's, I'm kidding, you don't have to say all that. Just say, I saw it on Autism Live. Uh, and they're also offering 10% off on all skills products if you, anything that you wanna get on skills, whether it's that behavior uh, intervention uh, 
tool that uh, Evelyn was just talking about or the assessment or the whole thing, 10% off. So here's the phone number. Are you ready? <laughs> you want to call 877-975-4559. So again, that's 877-975-4559. If you are calling internationally, I want to encourage you to get the WhatsApp um, to call that or uh, you can visit them at uh, ibehavioraltraining.com. Um, that's another way, but um, oh, I, I can't read what that is. I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> Trayvon sent me a bunch of stuff. I don't know what that is. Uh, okay, so, and if you have questions about any of that, please feel free to email me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. I don't know how to put that in. Um, you can put that on the screen, Traven. I don't know how to do that. It's on the screen. Your name. Oh, okay. See, so my chat. My chat is covering it. I can't even see my own face. There we go. So you can email me if you have questions about that, and then I will forward you over to the Institute for Behavioral Training to hook you up with that. So that and and they have more trainings um, that are available, and they're really low cost. I think they start at seven dollars and fifty cents for a topic. I think the most expensive one is maybe $35 because it's got multiple um, different things. But there it is, ibehavioraltraining.com. Reach out to them, tell them that Shannon sent you. But that's a way that you can learn about how to do good quality ABA. I wanna get to this question that I was gonna start at the beginning um, because it's. I think it goes right hand in hand with what we're talking about. I'm gonna summarize though. This parent wrote in and said that they have a daughter who was diagnosed at two and a half, and now it's a year later. She is verbal and can communicate with a stranger with 90% uh, understanding on each side. She's never attended school because she's too young at this point. Um, and now uh, they had were getting ready to start ABA. They were assessed and their ABA provider um, approved them for 20 hours a week. Uh, I want to start there. Because <laughs> uh, that, that makes, yeah, because that makes the top of my head fly off, and I want to make sure that parents are hearing this. Because from me, right there, fair or unfair, as a parent looking at at research, if you have a two and a half year old, it's like if they say they're starting at twenty because they want to ramp her up to forty, I will accept that as good ABA. But if they're saying that a two and a half year old only needs 20 hours of ABA. I got questions already about the quality of ABA they're providing. Can they read? Do they understand research? Because the research says across the board, 25 to 40 hours is the window for the maximum amount of progress for this age range. Am I telling anything that's untrue, Evelyn? Nope. That's okay. I mean, you want to take advantage. And maybe you have um naps or whatever you just work up to it because those naps will go yes. away you know yeah but but all of us as parents and caregivers should be arguing with i don't care who the provider is argue with them on this we want to be in that window of 25 to 40 and and you want to get as close to 40 as you can get and and not only that you want to learn what they're doing so that every hour that the i i love dr grand Pichet says every waking hour Yep. So maybe your ABA provider is going to do 40, but the family is going to continue to keep those things going in the hours after therapy. So already I have like issues with why they would say 20 hours. 
But then they started ABA and they hit, they were just hitting COVID when that happened. And so basically what this ABA provider did, and they said who the ABA, ABA provider was, but I'm not going to say who it is, but, but I will give you a hint that uh, part of their name has a holiday in it uh, <laughs> in the spring, a holiday in the spring. Um, okay. But, but this to me is really upsetting because they gave her great parent training. And I love that. I want to encourage everybody a card. They call it caregiver collaboration. Everybody wants that because you want to do the, the ABA in the hours that they're not doing it. But that's all they gave her because of COVID. They said, that's all we can do is caregiver collaboration. And they taught her um, how to do ABC data collection. They taught her functions and consequences of behavior, antecedent strategies, blah, 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 blah. It was one to two hours a week. That was great. But now it's two months later, they are only having um, her run the sessions and she gets to meet with her supervisor once a month and that's all they want to do. They don't, the, no, no one is coming to work with their child. Um, they have her run the sessions and then they will go over the data that she took. Um, I don't. And she says her insurance is paying for it. Um, so I just want to say that's not typical. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to know how everybody is dealing with COVID. Um, but there are providers out there that are able to give you more than that. And I would be squawking big time at this ABA provider. This is not normal, is it, Evelyn? No, and there's a lot of people, the world of COVID has really thrown a lot of people in agencies and learning how to figure it out. I mean, I have to say that first month when COVID hit and we had to figure out how to get all our kids therapy because it, I mean, we were working 80 hours a week, a whole set of us, because we were trying to figure out how can we have our kids not lose time? Because for every waking hour that a typical child is awake and learning constantly, ABA, the 40 hours is really to replicate that, is because the, your, your ASD child is not learning typically. So by having therapy and teaching parents, it's to replicate, it's to make the child every waking hour be learning. And that is what a typical child is doing. So that is what the replication is. But um, really, we sat down, the whole group of us that have been doing this, probably the average years of work was probably 20 to 25 years in the field, and putting together, like, what, how can we do this? You know, families that wanted, didn't want the social distancing, we had to close our centers, you know? Some families that were okay with people coming in, we reduced the number of people going into homes. So, and, and you know, and with all our staff, we said, you know, you have, we gave them all the protocols. And so they come in with, you know, PPE gear and everything. And, um, and then there's telehealth and telehealth can be very effective, but, and then maybe the parent has to be there to kind of do the compliance to stay focused, but the therapy was coming through the screen. They were the ones planning, doing the trials, teaching them how to play. And so yes, there was times when the therapist had to prompt the parent to like go get the items that were needed, you know, for whatever they were doing or to place things. But the parent wasn't doing the therapy. It was coming through telehealth. And the parent had to follow instructions, 
of what, to, you know, when I mean, there's items that had to be put in place in front of the child that couldn't be done through the screen. But we have found that with all our telehealth therapy has been very effective for many, many of our kids. And then we have had parent, um, people go into the home and just reducing the number of people going home and, you know, respecting the, the safety issues that do, you know, if there was somebody in the household that was, you know, that was in jeopardy of seeing somebody, we didn't do home-based. If the family wasn't comfortable, we didn't do it, you know, or, and it was, there's a lot of things that can be done and therapy can be given during this time. And unfortunately, COVID is the normal, at least through next spring, for sure, you know, in terms of safety. So there's but a lot. I want to chime in here, though, and just say that it's so important that we learn these things as parents, and it's important that we be able to do everything with our child. But when insurance is paying for it, because um, <laughs> she's saying I get left alone during therapy. That's not that's not when insurance is paying for it. That's just your life. And you will do that. Uh, and that's a good thing. And it's great that you're getting all that training. But when insurance is paying for it, someone else is there. They might be talking to your child or they might be talking to you or they might be talking to both of you. But if they're getting paid, they have to be there. If they if they're getting paid for therapy, the code is is implementation. Yeah. yeah. They're implementing. And then if they're a, a BCBA, they're supposed to be modifying your treatment plan. So if your insurance is paying for the different sources, if they're paying for that one-to-one -one therapy, you are not implementing the therapy. Somebody else's, you might be making sure this child stay focused and you might be moving objects around, but you're not the one doing the therapy if, they, if your insurance is paying for the one-to-one. -one. Okay, we are past time. I just, I just have to say for the parent who wrote in and said that they've got a uh, one-year-old that has already got a diagnosis and they want the best result and they're saying that I want to know more about diet and training. So um, definitely that IBT that we were talking about and skills um, to be able to help you if you're not near an ABA provider. But one-year-old is not too early to be having um, somebody, uh, ABA consultant, because you're just going to catch them before they get further behind. That's not yes. too young. But you want somebody good. Yes. You don't want somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't know how to deal with a one-year-old. Yes. When you're talking about all the diet stuff, I really want to encourage you to go to TACANow.org. TACANow.org. That stands for the Autism Community in Action Now.org. They're getting ready next week. They will start their fall conference. They're doing it all online. It will be every day in the month of October. I think it's $50 to register, but you get so many things. And it's every day for the entire month, 31 days. And they are the people who, it's, a, it's all run by parents. And they are the people who... Uh, really have done the most uh, to gather resources about diet and dietary intervention and things like that. And they will have experts from around the world presenting and you get all the conferences for $50. It's crazy. Uh, so it's TACANow.org. I uh, want to encourage you. We don't get any kind of a kickback from it. I I'm just giving you the information. It is $50, I believe, to register now. There was early registration. Yes. Can I, I just throw in? I see a yeah. question about the neurologically divergent people to socially acceptable neurotypical. Yes. Somebody cannot function in society. You are not respecting them. 
if you can teach them the skills so they, they can function and they can do what they want and they're able to access everything so that they can choose what they want, that is really respecting somebody for who they are. People that only see one thing and if they can't function and they're having a lot of problems, you wanna help them so that they have the choice. And that's really what ABA is. It's giving person, teaching them what it all is, and then they have the choice on whether they're gonna do it or not. If they don't have the choice, it's not fair. My favorite example, because a lot of people will say to me, you know, um, there's because of all the negative ABA that's out there, let's take, for instance, this hand flapping. And people go, well, this isn't dangerous. So why do you need to stop hand flapping? Well, the truth of the matter is we all have some sort of self-stimulatory behavior. We all do. Um, and, and we use it in different ways to calm ourselves down or to help us stay focused or to keep ourselves awake, whatever. Um, you know, I, I do all kinds of things. If you, if we had the camera on my whole body, you would see all the stims that I do during the show. Good ABA is not trying to get rid of stims. Good ABA is saying, what is this? How is this helping you? Can we make it be a way that allows you to do, to get the same thing from this, but you can pick up a pen and write? Because if you're doing this, you're not able to write at the same time. And there's going to be things in school where, where we're going to want you to write in order to communicate some of your ideas. And my favorite story, a card was the little boy who was doing this all the time. And card looked at this and said, what is functional about this? What does this young man get from this? How can we take this and have it be a way that, that is, helps him to express himself? So this went to this. They put drumsticks in his hands and he is an 18 year old who is touring right now with his band because his CD is out. That's, and, and he will tell you, and you can look him up. His name is Logan Shepard and look him up online. He will tell you that, he, you know, ABA helped him to be able to do what he wanted to be able to do. They didn't change who he was. They didn't take anything away from him. He had this need Right. But he, ch he channeled that into something that was that helped him, that helps him communicate, helps him be who he is. And but he also, was, it also helped him. He knew when to control it. Yes, there's that, too. The choices, because, you know, obviously there are there are stims that we all have that we can that we can choose when and how we participate in them. Mm -hmm. So um that's a lot for today and we didn't get through even a third of the questions for those of you who did write in questions and comments that we didn't get to i apologize and we kept you 10 minutes past the time evelyn yeah. we adore you thank you so much for being here don't forget you guys tomorrow if this if you were interested in this conversation tomorrow's going to blow your mind we have someone on tomorrow about a new autism center that's opening literally in the background of where i grew up as a child and it's uh, inclu inclusivity center where they're going to be doing ABA uh, with compassion and mindfulness and a whole bunch of other things. You're not going to want to miss the discussion. We're having Dr. Noor Syed join us tomorrow to tell us about that new center. Thank you, Evelyn Kong. We adore you. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for watching Autism Live. To subscribe, click here. And if you'd like to check out some more of our videos, click here.